Hi, this is Katie Yale, Editor-in-Chief of Interiors and Sources, and you are listening to I Hear Design, an INS podcast. So every week we have been bringing you different stories and interviews with other people, but this week is really exciting to me because what we're doing is I'm introducing you to all of our writers who work with INS, and we kind of wanted to go over some of our favorite stories of the year, you know, in case you missed it or in case you want a little bit more background. Um, and so without further ado, uh, first up is Sarah, um, who joined us this year. And Sarah, what was your favorite story of the year? Okay, so I'm kicking things off with uh, a little bathroom content. <laughs> One of my favorite pieces to write this year for INS was a profile of the winner of this year's America's Best Restroom. Uh, that's a contest that's put on every year by Cintos Corporation. Uh, yeah, this was just like such a pleasure to write. Everyone I talked to was, you know, over the moon and so proud to receive recognition after such hard work. Uh, so this year, the J.N. Ding Darling National Wildlife Refuge in Sanibel, Florida, was named America's Best Restroom. Uh, if you look online, you'll see pictures, but the walls of the men's and women's restrooms are covered in these, you know, beautiful murals of uh, these like watery landscapes. The doors of the stalls are each covered with a professional photo of a bird. Um, and on the opposite side of like each door is an interesting fact about that bird. Uh, so the thing I found most interesting about writing this piece was just how much the people at the wildlife refuge wanted to, you know, create an experience. You know, a restroom is like such an important part of a facility, but, um, you know, oftentimes it might be overlooked, uh, especially design-wise. But the people here kind of wanted to up the stakes and just create something fun and like educational too. And it's already paying off. I talked to Tony Westland, who is the supervisory refuge ranger at the wildlife refuge. Um, she told me, when I walk into the restroom, I will hear ladies teaching each other about their birds on the stall doors. Uh, when I'm washing my hands, I'm thinking this is exactly what we wanted. Uh, the refuge also has like bus loads of kids coming in from schools all around the state. And Tony said, uh, it's always, you know, always entertaining to watch them as they're waiting in line for the bathrooms, uh, to watch them enjoy the life-size animal sculptures that were placed on the walls outside the restrooms. Asking questions and just having fun. So yeah, not only did I have fun writing this, uh, but, I, but I learned a lot. I talked uh, to the gentleman who's in charge of this contest, uh, and he told me that he and Sintes recently conducted a survey uh, where they found that 90% of people will not return to a business if they've had a negative restaurant experience there. That kind of like blew my mind. <laughs> 95%. Uh, so in a sense, in a sense, restaurants can be like like a sales driver for your facility uh, and have effect maybe even like a, a, a significant one um, on a presentation. I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely have had those thoughts where like if you have, you know, have a bad restroom experience, you might think like, well, this might be, you know, how they run the rest of their facility. And that's, you know, not a good feeling. Um, so yeah, this piece just kind of opened my eyes to the importance of a well-designed restroom and especially restrooms that are a step above that, like ones at the wildlife refuge. Uh, yeah, so just congrats to them again. I think it's well-deserved. You guys should definitely look at the pictures online if you, already, if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, so it's just always fulfilling to talk to people who are super passionate about the work they do and then uh, share their story. You know, one of the things that I really love about that, Sarah, is that um, you know, we kind of have a, a little bit of a, a joke in INS and buildings about, you know, uh, bathroom content. However, so many designers that I speak to on a regular basis know that it's a fact that 
yeah, if you walk into a bathroom and it's it's not well designed, you know, it can totally change your experience, um, especially when it comes to the restaurants I found. And, you know, it, and it seems like when you have a fun environment like that, like you also are, are decreasing the amount of vandalism. Uh, did they talk about that aspect at all or just kind of the, the design of it? Yeah, it was mostly just the design of it. And I, I like what you said about, yeah, how, you know, uh, if you have a ne- negative experience, it can, you know, affect how you think of the whole facility. I think the opposite is true, too. Like, especially if I go into a restaurant and I think the restroom is really awesome and really well designed, that will, you know, make me think higher of the, the whole operation of the restaurant itself. So, yeah. Uh, so next up is Rachel. Um, and Rachel also joined our team this year. Um, she really dove in and and found a lot of products that she was really excited about. Um, so Rachel, what was your favorite story of the year? Yeah, uh, that's, oh, oh yeah, um, that's right. So I'm fairly new, but I have had the opportunity to write about a lot of really interesting products. Um, one that stood out to me was for a company, a furniture line um, called Reforest Design. Um, it was created by Yulina Pankowska, um, with a goal of reducing deforestation and waste. Uh, the idea originated when she was in college. She'd regularly see damaged and discarded furniture set out and just kind of being trashed and thought that if there was a really quick and easy way to update it, whether it be the style or repair it, um, it significantly reduce the amount of furniture that ends up in landfills. So with that in mind, she created her own furniture line using sustainably manufactured pressed bamboo, which actually grows faster and releases 35% more oxygen than um, a forest of trees of equivalent size. Uh, The upholstery combines 100% natural latex foam with natural and recycled fabrics, and the furniture is also designed to be flat packed for assembly with parts that are replaceable. Um, the product line includes tables and chairs and stools, and she plans to add headboards and benches, ottomans, lounge chairs, and futons to the collection eventually. Um, she did patent the design, which is a little hard to describe, but it's really unique. So where a typical chair has one piece of upholstered foam, these chairs have 12 separate upholstered squares on each seat, and they slide into place and lock. So, um... There's really an endless array of upholstery choices, and if a square becomes damaged or outdated, you could just swap in a new square rather than replace the whole chair. Um, It's a relatively new company, uh, officially launched its site in September with products available online at reforestdesign.com. And then um, Pankowska also hopes to begin selling the product in various retailers in Canada and the U.S. in the near future. Um, This particularly stood out to me just because it it looked so unique in comparison to some of the furniture that's currently out there. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this was one of the first stories that you wrote with us, correct? Yeah, that's right. And so what was it about, like, when you saw that so the way that we work is, you know, we get press releases, we get a lot of information, sometimes we find things online. Um, and this was something that was sent to us. And what really, like, jumped out the most from before you even learned about the product? I think that it really came down to the unique squares that are 
they're modular squares that are placed onto the seat and sort of locked there. And I thought it was really unique because of the different upholstery I, that was showcased in her photos. But um, it was just such an accent piece, you know, whereas sometimes tables and chairs and whatnot can kind of just blend in. This was really like unique. It stood out, really interesting to look at. Great, thank you. Um, and so then next up is uh, someone who many of you have probably uh, read over the years, if you have been following INS. Um, so Rob is our editor at, uh, at large, and he has been writing for, Rob, how long have you been writing with INS now? Oh, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, I started back in, <laughs> two, yeah, I started back in 2002, uh, came on as an associate editor, and then uh, have been with you guys ever since. It's been great. Oh, great. Um, I think especially with like the 35th anniversary coming up, like it's it's so awesome to to hear um, your expertise and and just kind of the ideas that that come from you is, is always so wonderful. Um, and so what was the story that you really enjoyed this year? Yeah, that that actually proved to be a more difficult question for me to answer than I initially thought, because um, I had the opportunity to work on um, some really cool stories. Um, specifically a couple that utilize technology in really cool ways that I just wanted to mention real quickly. Um, so I don't remember which issue it was for <laughs> because, you know, it kind of turns into a blur at some point. But um, the Dazzle Public Art Project at the San Diego International Airport. Um, oh, yeah. Featured, yeah, that one was really cool. It featured like, you know, digital ink that you see in like Kindles. Um, and the really cool part about that was, uh, you know, they drew inspiration from uh, World War Two, or I'm sorry, World War One battleships and the camouflage designs that they used, which I thought was like really cool and was one of my top contenders. Um, and then I know um, probably a bunch of you guys were at Neocon this year, um, as I was too. And uh, I discovered this new technology called Salient. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of that one, but um, I'll see if I can get this right. It's like a, a thermoreactive mineral that they apply on textiles that actually can improve people's health by increasing circulation um, through contact with the skin, uh, which I thought was really amazing. And um, I actually own a few pairs of socks because the company said, and uh, they were super comfortable. I could like attest to how awesome this this, uh, this this is, but it's actually an FDA approved medical device now, which I thought was like amazing. But, um, but really getting to my favorite story, um, I had to go back to my first love really, which is music. And so I'm gonna date myself here a little bit, but uh, I've been playing drums for about like 30 years now. And, um, so when I got to the opportunity to write um, a story on the newly renovated Hutton Hotel in Nashville um, that was done by Studio 11 Design, uh, I knew I was going to love writing it um, because, you know, I spent a lot of years uh, performing on stage in clubs and, and doing some music festivals and, and I play at my church now too. Um, but I actually had the opportunity to record an album in Nashville uh, with the band I was in, I think it was in around 2005. Um, at the White House studio um, in Nashville. So I, have a, I had a real personal connection to, to the story and the locale. But um, what I thought made the Hutton Hotel project really just unique and cool um, is that they added this one of a kind, like intimate live music venue that they call Analog. And, um, you know, the designers were saying that um, the artists can come in and they can perform acoustic sets, like something you'd see on MTV's Unplugged. Or they can even try new material out on, you know, smaller audiences, which, you know, they get to hang out in these couches and lounge furniture and just looks like an awesome um, just place to be, you know. But uh, what I thought was the most interesting about this project were these two distinctive writers rooms um, that they created uh, in collaboration with um, 
country music recording artist Dirks Bentley and also singer-songwriter Ryan Tedder. And what I thought was so intriguing was how the design team took um, you know, two artists from two totally different musical genres and they created these stunning writing environments that serve the same purpose, you know, essentially where they can, writers can come in and write new songs and they can actually even record because they have all the recording equipment in there, uh, which was just so cool. And um, the design team was telling me that, um, you know, uh, Ryan Tedder was looking, you know, he drew his inspiration from, you know, the industrial look, um, New York City lofts that bring in a lot of natural light. And as I was looking at the photos of it, you know, I mean, you can definitely see somebody, you know, coming in, sitting down at a keyboard and, and writing the next pop um, single or whatever. Um, but then Bentley, you know, coming from his country roots um, from Arizona, actually created this, helped to create this space with a totally different vibe. Um, one where you, you know, you could picture somebody taking an acoustic guitar and a stiff drink or something and, you know, writing the next country classic. So these rooms are like, they've become sort of a home away from home uh, for traveling musicians. And um, what I thought was also really cool was that the design team uh, enabled um, generators to hook up their tour buses uh, so that, to these writers rooms, which apparently not a lot of hotels offer, um, you know, to traveling artists at all. So it was a pretty cool amenity that they, um, that they added. So they really were kind of paying attention to who, who the end user is. So, um, and definitely, you know, I didn't do a lot of touring, but I did a little bit of gigging back in my day. And I can tell you that if I had the chance to stay at a place like the Hutton, you know, rather the back of, the, of like a dingy van or something, I mean, that would have been amazing. <laughs> um, so I know the next time I'm, I'm planning on going to Nashville, I want to stop in and, you know, maybe catch a show uh, at the Hutton. And in the meantime, I hope, uh, hope everybody will take some time to revisit that story and maybe pop in some earbuds for some inspiration while you're at it. But yeah, that, that was my favorite for this last year. I love how they incorporated the just music is such a part of Nashville and how they really focused on that too. Like you said, the end user. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they had also like, there's like lounge areas um, where they would just, they took like um, old pieces of music equipment. I think there was even some, you know, like the graphic designs of, of uh, different singers and songwriters. And they just really brought in like that local, that local flavor uh, into the art and accessories and things like that too. That's great. Um, I think those of us in the Cedar Rapids headquarters over here for INS are just, uh, our jaws have been slack since you said that you've been drumming for 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I started when I was 12 and, uh, you know, so that, that kind of gives you, gives you the date on my, on my age. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're great. Thank you. Um, and so yeah. then next is Janelle. Um, Janelle is one of our staff writers. She has been with um, Samey's, our parent company, at the school for eight years. Eight years now. So she really is one of our, our building experts. And uh, whether or not she likes it, our permit extraordinaire. <laughs> uh, so, Janelle, what is your favorite story of the year? So my favorite story this year was um, how to avoid design mistakes for ADA compliant restrooms because it was really eye-opening to learn about all the different things that designers often miss when they're um, creating restrooms, not to revive the restroom talk yeah. again. But, um, it was really intriguing because one of my sources for this piece was David Mails, who is an ADA consultant who is also a C7 quadriplegic. So he's seen 
um, all these violations from both the professional and the personal side. And he had so many more stories than I could fit in the article, but there's this one part where he's explaining why restrooms in particular are such a big concern for uh, designers and also users. And the way he explained it was that, you know, having to find a workaround for a ramp that's too steep is one thing because you can maybe find someone to push you up, but not being able to access something as basic as a toilet and then potentially having an accident is just a whole new ball game. So someone is much more likely to become, uh, as he put it, thoroughly ticked off and potentially even sue over the latter versus the former. So um, I just thought it was really interesting because, you know, a lot of times designers or facility owners can forget that some people using a space are going to have mobility aids or um, even just have a hard time seeing or hearing. And it's really, really important to remember those things because design is for everyone, you know. And that's extra important when you're talking about restrooms, which, again, are one of the most basic amenities that you can offer people. So um, he recommended bringing in an ADA consultant from the beginning who can make sure that you're not accidentally creating a violation for your clients. And I think that's a great idea because it's so much harder to fix things after the design is implemented. It's really important to get it right the first time. Yeah, that's really cool you said that. Um, because you know, um, I think in one of the trends that we were looking at earlier this year on, um, I think it was privacy pods that we were seeing all over Neocon. Um, I was talking to some people about that and they were uh, saying how some of them aren't even ADA compliant. I think that's something that, you know, people, we, we kind of take for granted as far as, as far as that goes. And it's so important to, to keep that in mind, as you said. So that, that's really cool. Yeah, we really do take it for granted a lot. And I, I learned that the hard way last summer, I broke my foot and I was on one of those goofy knee scooters for two months. <laughs> Uh, and that was only two months, so I can't imagine how much more irritated I would be if I had to have a mobility aid all the time, every day. Yeah, it was a, a federal park, so they had to comply, and it was, uh, they were like, well, no one up here is going to be in a wheelchair, but some guy in a wheelchair and his friends made the trek, and then everyone could use the toilet but him. So you can imagine how mad he was, because it's not like they could just go down the street from a mountain. So next up is Adrienne, who has been with us since she had her first Neocon this year, you guys. <laughs> um, for all of the designers out there, you you know uh, what kinds of lessons she learned real fast in June. Um, but so Adrienne, what has been your favorite story of the year? But yeah, in the past 10 months or so I've been with INS, um, I've got to cover a lot of interesting and unique interior projects. One of my favorite was Under, um, if anybody saw it on our website. Under is the first underwater restaurant in Europe. It is slated to open actually in the spring of 2019. So in just a few months, it should be opening its doors. I came across Under simply while scrolling through the news before work one morning, and the photographs of it instantly took my breath away. So I had to immediately dig in. Um, water restaurant, just the concept of it sounds cool. So why not check it out? After I did some digging, I found out that Noeda, an architectural and design firm in Norway, designed it. Um, well, it's not the first underwater restaurant in the world. It is the largest, and it's also Europe's first, so some notable feats there. And it is also going to be located in the southernmost point of the Norwegian coastline, so also close to the design firm that's creating it. Um, to simply put it, under pretty much looks like a large concrete slab that was just submerged into the ocean. It's right off the coast and it kind of just resembles a large periscope. If anyone knows 
kind of can just visualize that in your mind. Um, it was half sunken into the sea this past July, so it's not fully submerged. Just the bottom portion is, and guests will enter and then go down into three different levels throughout. Um, when it was submerged in July, that is when work began underway for its interiors, which is what they're working on now in anticipation of it opening in just a few months. But this is um, Snowado's first time taking on an underwater project. The firm is also well known for notable projects, though, like the September 11th Memorial Muse Museum Pavilion, as well as the Times Square public space renovation in New York City, if anyone has checked those out recently this year. Um, but to kind of give you an idea of what it'll look like on the inside, since we discussed the outside, it'll have three different levels uh, spread throughout about 5,300 square feet, and it can hold about 80 to 100 guests, just depending on what event might be going on. But one thing I really liked was that it takes its, all of the designers took the environment into consideration when creating the space. So for an example, when guests walk into the entryway, uh, there's a natu natural tide pool right out front the door, uh, which kind of just really pulls in the natural coastline and surrounding environment from Norway itself. Uh, my favorite feature, which you can see in pictures online, is the massive 36 by 13 foot panoramic window. So that is at the bottom of the restaurant. And that is also underwater. And guests will have an entire massive view of the sea life beneath, which I thought was really cool. Um, the interiors kind of play off of the local environment. So the color palettes really tie into the coastal zone with soft colors that, you know, look like shells and rock and sand, as well as some warm wood just to create a warm atmosphere. But like I said, one thing that really struck me with this project was it's more than an aquarium you can just dine in. Um, the creators really wanted it to become part of its marine environment. Um, and to just allow the natural sea life to kind of grow under the building. So they expect mussels and mollusks to grow under the concrete itself. And then they'll also allow Norwegian researchers to study marine and fish life in the future. So if anyone is going to Norway in 2019, Katie, I know you went last year. So if you go <laughs> this year, please check it out for us. They are taking reservations. But if you're wanting to go in the spring when they open, you might be short on luck because they're booking up fast. So be sure to check it out. Hello. I, I'm a managing editor, uh, Valerie. Um, one thing I noticed from our conversations is that because we didn't really, you know, ch chat too much about what our favorite things were together is that we have similar themes. Um, like Rob and Hutton in Nashville um, and how it incorporated local touches. My favorite piece of content this year was um, a podcast about Moxie Hotels. Um, and so this one was a podcast and, you know, like what we're doing now, we've really beefed up podcasts this year and we've kind of done them different ways. Um, one thing that was fun was I actually was um, just dropping off chief content engagement director Christoph Trapp at his hotel and the Moxie. Um, and we just decided on the fly once we walked in to do a podcast um, because we just 
were like, wow, this is a really cool space, the podcast. I mean, it includes um, images and videos, but so we focused on the hotel we were staying at. It opened earlier this year in Minneapolis's hip uptown neighborhood. And right when we walked in, we knew it was different. Um, the Moxie Hotel, and this isn't unique to the Moxie. I mean, this is like kind of a trend but this is just one example of it. Um, the Moxie hotels are aimed at the younger modern crowd who are looking, you know, for more than just a place to stay. Um, and they're looking for an experience, um, amenities and technology that fits their lifestyle and to be really comfortable. And um, so it was really obvious from that and I encourage you to go online and look at the pictures and the video but like even walking in like the front door it reminded me of a speakeasy it's not even really obvious that it's the front door of the hotel um and you just notice that right when you walk in it's really inviting it's like a like a really hip living room maybe even or just like a really cool space to gather um there's no reception desk you just go to the bar there's one person with like an ipad pretty much to check in um yeah and just the the lobby just features lots of local touches throughout um it's very like industrial looking lobby but then it has like neon signs and tons of just different comfy seating uh you know, and whether it's like alone space to work or places to gather um, and the local touches just range from photography to using like local liquors for drinks that they make that are specific to like each location. Um, yeah. So we, we just walked around. The, yeah. Sorry. One of the things that I, I thought was really fun about this was that um, you know, one of the changes that we've made in 2018 is to kind of jump into stories and to find stories. And, and you know, if you think of a story, why aren't you doing it? And I thought it was so fun that um, you two were just there and just looked around and went, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, we're also thinking, like, what is the best way to, you know, present the story? Um we did a podcast so we could chat about it, but like I said, it definitely has, it even has a video. It has lots of images. Um, I mean, even like we went, we checked out the uh, workout room and it's really unique. Like the treadmills in front of the treadmills, there's like neon images of like donuts and maybe ice cream. The donuts one stuck out. So it's like just kind of fun and whimsical, a lot of bright colors. Um, you know, to keep you motivated. Um, one thing that's cool is, so we we went to the um, Minneapolis Moxie, but I know that really what they are using really is local touches because they're getting ready to open the DC um, location. And I know, I have, know somebody who actually has a photo that's in every guest room in DC. Like they found him on Instagram, his local photo. Yeah. So they really are like truly putting like local unique touches in. So all of this, you know, and that's the kind of things that like around every corner, there was like something memorable. There's a hammock somewhere like 
they they were getting like a projection ready to I don't even remember in the like lounge area. I don't even remember. Some nights it's movie nights. Some nights they set up like a Super Nintendo for people to play. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just really, yeah, really to make you like want to stay there and stay there and um, have a really good experience. It's all about like really what Rob said, the end user. So yeah, yeah, and we, you know, we're just trying, like Katie said, we're trying new things of how to present the news to, or, you know, present information to you, like whatever makes sense for the, for the content. And then, I mean, this was so visual and so descriptive that it just seemed like a natural fit to do a podcast video and images too. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So then to close out, um, like Valerie said, yeah, we have a lot of similar themes this year in August, um, we started the I Hear Design podcast. Uh, I, if you've ever hung out with me in person, I talk about podcasts constantly. It's a uh, at this point, it's it's maybe just obsessive uh, for me to constantly talk about them. So when we decided to jump into podcasting, it was just I was just over the moon. Um, so my favorite of the year was actually our third podcast, uh, which is uh, the story of Pink. Um, so I spoke with Royce Epstein, the A&D design director uh, of Mohawk Group. And the way it came about was we actually were, um, I was on Facebook and a friend of ours, a mutual friend, had uh, she had stated how much she dislikes Millennial Pink. Um, and don't worry, I won't call you out. Uh, but all of a sudden Royce and I were both in the comments going like, no, 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 no. Like I have so many thoughts on this. And, um, so I thought it was funny because, you know, if you've ever spoken with Royce, she is just absolutely so much fun to talk to and she has so many great ideas. And so immediately I I messaged her and I said, uh, we, we need to talk about pink. Like we need to talk about this. Um, I'm big into color theory. And one of the things that came up was uh, while we were looking at coming up with the logo for I Hear Design, we were throwing around different ideas and somebody suggested pink. And of course, like the gendered aspects of pink came up in that conversation. Like, would we lose listeners? Would there be an issue with that? What What is the connotations of pink? And so for that I think it was nearly the same day for that comment to be made and for Royce and I to both jump in and go like, no, 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 I have opinions, Um, which I'm pretty sure we both always have opinions, but it was so much fun to chat with her and um, learn about the history because there were some things I knew, some things I didn't. And one thing that I always think is great, and this actually ties into um, a podcast that we did with Carl Magnuson, where he said, you only learn when you listen, which is basically seared into my brain at this point. Um, but I always love when I throw out an idea, especially as a design theorist, and somebody tells me that I'm wrong. Like, because you can only, you know, you can only put out there what you know. And if somebody is telling me more information to help me make better decisions, that's great. And so I had opinions about Millennial Pink, and Royce came back with. 
well, no, I don't think that, you know, these are my opinions or these, this is what I see of it. Um, and I thought it was really great. It was just a lot of fun. And it ends up being the one that even if somebody isn't in our industry, if they start talking about podcasts, I'll say, oh, you know, we have a podcast and you should check out, you know, if you're trying to get into it, check out episode three. And um, I actually had a, uh, I had somebody calling me the other day, I think it was a telemarketer and I ended up talking about it. And he said, oh, my girlfriend will like that one. And I was like, this is why you should both listen to it because that's exactly what we talk about. Um, so yeah, that, that was my favorite. Um, just from the team, is there anything else that you, you want to bring up or kind of close out this episode with? I mean, personally, I like the fact and that's a really good example of how we do find, you know, content and everything. It's like that came from a conversation and who would have thought that, you know, you could even on, you know, on first glance, maybe that you could have even gotten a, an entire podcast out of that topic and you did. So that's really, I mean, I think that's really interesting in itself too. And just shows, you know, we're, we're just always on the lookout for, you know, different kinds of content and information to chat about and bring to you. And we have diverse interests and want to pass those along. Yeah, that, that's true. And what, what else I love is that, you know, just the diversity of stories. I mean, it just kind of speaks to, I mean, the, how far reaching design really goes. You know, I mean, we're talking about color theory, talking about, you know, restroom design, underwater you know, restaurants, hotels. I mean, I just love that that, you know, there's never a dull moment really in this industry. And I just, and that's why I, I feel like I've, I've, I've loved working um, with interiors and resorts for so long because, um, you know, that there's always something new. I think every day um, we get to work on things that are so interesting. And, and the more you talk to designers, I mean, you get, you get that same sense of passion from them that, you know, they love what they do because it impact, it really does impact people's lives in so many different ways, you know? So I think that's really cool. And I think just talking about all these stories just kind of brings that, um, to surface, you know, it's just so broad and, and inclusive and, and diverse. So. And design just touches everything too. So. As long as you have, and I've already covered such a wide variety of stories. Um, my first one I wrote on actually was an entire building that was, had a, its entire, it was a multi building building. <laughs> that didn't make sense. Excuse me. It was, a there was many buildings within the company. And each building had its own theme, one of them being Alice in Wonderland. And I just remember starting off with this and the visuals were so stunning. But it's just really cool to see uh, how people take their creative talents and interests and incorporate them into their work or, you know, their healthcare or education environments just to make our spaces more inviting and pleasant to be in. And going off all the cool things we covered this year, I'm really excited to see what we'll get a write about in 2019. Absolutely wonderful year. Um, and as always, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, anything of that nature, please feel free to email me. Uh, my email address can always be found in the masthead of INS, but it is K-A-D-I-E dot Y-A-L-E at interiorsandsources.com. Um, and please be sure to uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, this podcast so that you can keep up to date when we come back in 2019 uh, with all new episodes. We actually already have episodes 
planned out, I think through March at this point. So we have a lot of awesome stuff coming your way. Um, and so happy new year and thank you again until next time. Thanks so much.